Live from Chatterbox Sports Studios, it's Off the Bench with Tom Brenneman. Good morning, good morning, and a pleasant good Tuesday morning to each and every one of you. A long holiday weekend. Remember those who serve this great country, the United States of America. Thanks for being with us and welcome to Off the Bench presented by United Dairy Farmers. I'm Tom Brenneman, Casey, Paul, Jacob. How we doing, man? Fantastic. It's wedding week, Tom. It's not cutting time. Like I said, that has factual connotations on multiple levels. Are you, are you getting nervous? Are you getting excited? For those who don't know, Casey is getting married this coming weekend. We've been talking a lot about it. And now here we are, Casey. Thoughts? Um, you know, I, I'm not terribly nervous. I still have some things I need to do, like write my vows, and we're doing a uh, a love letter for uh, five. Have we're we're you doing started those things. No, I'm not. But I'm. I have a pretty good idea what I'm gonna write. Okay. Okay. But other than that, I think we've got everything squared away. All that's left to do is for the. The ladies to get their nails done and their hair did. and Okay, but that's out of your realm there. I mean, you have nothing to do with that. You might be paying for some of it, but you have nothing to do with it. Correct. Okay. Correct. So, what is, so your primary focus is we sit here on a Monday, and those are big ones. The vows, the letter, what else? What's high priority? For the next, say, let's just say 48 hours. Going to grab the tux, for sure. I, I haven't grabbed it yet. Have you I, been fitted for it? Yes, yes. Okay, so you already know where you're getting it. And you're, you're good. Yeah. I mean, I just got to try it on and make sure it fits. Cause no, of course. You better do that. I've been to the Reds game a few times and had a couple of beers in me, so I might have, you know. <laughs> might have beefed up? Might have beefed up a little bit. <laughs> I, I know the feeling. But other than that, I think I'm, I'm ready, Tom. I'm, okay. I'm ready for this wedding and i'm excited uh can't wait for everyone to come and enjoy it with me and on the special day so well very very special among the very most special so we're excited and uh luke yes. big week big week for luke big week for luke graduation over the weekend on sunday thank the lord above weather was spectacular outside right there at the cusel stadium at marymont high perfect night um, you know, you're talking about maybe beefing up a little bit. I mean, it's a grad party seemingly morning, noon, and night every time you turn around. A lot of you know what I mean. You get a high school senior, and next thing you know, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Two or three on Saturday or Sunday. Next thing you know, you're seven, eight, 12 beers in, and there you are. Whew. Especially on a holiday weekend. Yeah. It's a lot going on. But gearing up for tomorrow night. State semis. Here we go. All good. But thank God. It was great. It was great. Very excited for him. He had a uh, great graduation and uh, cum laude student and all that great stuff. So we're very, very proud of him. Very happy for him. Um, all right. We come your way Monday through Friday, 10 a to 12 p. And you can find us, YouTube slash Chatterbox Sports. You can also join us in podcast form. Just search off the bench with Tom Brenneman and you're dialed in. What a weekend for your Cincinnati Reds.
I mean, they looked like a really good team this weekend for three days in Chicago. They really did. On Friday, Hunter Green, sensational six hitless innings, scoreless innings, punches out 11, gets his first win of the season. They almost complete a no-header, but gave up a couple of hits in the eighth. Saturday, it was the Jonathan India show. He hits two home runs in an 8-5 win. Then on Sunday, the rookie star, Matt McClain, his first four-hit game, Spencer Steer hit a home run. Kevin Newman was on base five times in another 8-5 win. Cincinnati outscores the lowly Cubs 25-10 in the three games and get their first sweep at Wrigley Field since 2013. Now it's on to Boston. How about that road trip? You go from Wrigley Field to Fenway Park. That's big league trip. Red Sox 28-25 overall on the year. Peter Abraham, longtime baseball columnist for the Boston Globe, will join us about 10.50 to preview the series. It was a beautiful moment yesterday on the south side of Chicago. Reliever Liam Hendricks made his first outing since recovering from non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. He was diagnosed back in December and said the goal was to get back without ever being placed on the 60-day injured list. He did it. God is great indeed. College baseball. How about your Xavier Musketeers, Paulie? Yeah, it was awesome. It was an awesome weekend at Prasco just in general. The whole week was great. College baseball has benefited from the pitch clock, I would say, even more than professional baseball has because college baseball used to be almost unwatchable it, it, in the sense of these games you could pencil in 315, 6, 8, 10 pitching changes in a game. You know, it's just the games would drag. Every game was sub three hours this week. Every game was exciting. And then it came down to the ninth inning in the championship game and what was game seven of the tournament. It was a, a thrilling week. I think the the whole week set the records for the biggest crowds that Prasco had ever had. So it was fantastic weather all the way around. It could not have been better. And then, um, yeah, Xavier was trailing three to two. I, I was, I'll, I'll tell you what, Tom. And, and for you that don't know, they were trailing three to two in the decisive game yeah. to automatically qualify for the NCAA tournament. Yeah. So they had lost the first game on Saturday. They had to win the second game. Whoever won the second game got the big East's automatic bid. They were playing UConn who was going to be in the tournament anyway. Xavier had to win to get in. They were on the bubble. They were part of the first five out in the last bracketology. So they had to win to get in. And I'll tell you what, Tom, they were going in the ninth inning. They were losing three to two. So Xavier's been in the Big East title game every year that they've played in the Big East tournament in the last six years. They hadn't won it since 2017. There's no tournament in 2020. They lost in 19, lost in 21, lost in 22. Last two years, it's been to UConn. And every year, Xavier's the away team. And they're in that first base dugout. And the guys are sad in that first base dugout. And I'm sitting down there. I was the sideline reporter for Xavier. I got assigned to them. And I'm standing down there in the first base dugout. And I'm looking at the scoreboard. It's 3-2 to two in the ninth inning. I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, are we going to do the same thing four years in a row in the same dugout? Like, Oof. I don't know if I can take Billy being sad in the same spot in the dugout again. And then, yeah, they went. Uh, to first two guys in the ninth inning got on base. And then Jack Housinger, who has worn the Xavier uniform more than any other player in any sport in Xavier history, tripled off the wall and what ended up being a game-winning hit. So they're going down to Nashville this weekend. Yep. Play, play Vanderbilt, Oregon, and Eastern Illinois in that regional. And uh, 
Yeah, I will be there Sunday if they make it to Sunday. Very, very nice. We'll see. Uh, so for Xavier, that was a 7-3 final yesterday. It's Xavier's fifth trip overall to the tournament, as Paul pointed out, first since 2017. It is in Nashville, the first game. The, the headline act there is clearly Vanderbilt. Oh, yeah. They're the number one seed SEC champion. Then the number two seed is coming all the way from the Pac-12, and that would be Oregon. And that is a Friday game at 1 p. Eastern, correct? Yep. Yep, ESPN+. Plus. Okay. In basketball, an extraordinary Eastern Conference final. I mean, it had it all. You got a number eight seed against a two seed. The eight seed, Miami goes up 3-0. The Celtics win three games in a row to get game seven at home. Now, it's interesting that going into the game, in the Eastern Conference Finals, nine of the last 13 road teams had won games. Nine of the last 13 in the NBA. What happens in Game 7? Celtics come out the first few minutes, look great, and then they get steamrolled. The Heat start slowly, uh, but then explode behind series MVP Jimmy Butler. He is a captain of the NCN team. Uh, Caleb Martin was unbelievable. 103-84 the final. Miami is the first eight seed since the 1999 New York Knicks to reach the NBA Finals. That series begins on Thursday night in Denver after the Nuggets swept their four-game Western Conference Series against the Lakers. Goalie Roman Celentano. Yes, sir. Pitched his seventh shutout of the year for FC Cincinnati on Saturday. They played a terrible team and barely won, but they won. One to nothing over Colorado. FCC has the best record in the MLS, 10-1-3. The team will step back into the Lamar Hunt Open tomorrow, taking on New York in New York. Tom, I'm telling you one thing. I don't know how we're going to do this, but I want to I say this. If they win this Lamar Hunt thing... We're getting that trophy in here somehow. We're putting that trophy in, on that desk one of these days. I don't know how we're going to do it. Maybe Tommy G can pull it off for us. But if they win this thing, we're bringing the trophy up to Hamilton. I'd love to have it sitting right here permanently. <laughs> I told you, I've met Lamar Hunt. I've met the Hunt family, Clark, who runs the Chiefs now. For those of you that don't know, they've owned the Chiefs since the very beginning. I'm assuming that means he has owned the soccer team in Kansas City. Or somewhere else, he, I mean, he's passed now. But uh, he has to be involved heavily in soccer in some form or fashion. Lamar Hunt, his family. Yes. Has to be. I mean, they wouldn't name something called the Open after him if he wasn't, right? Right. They wouldn't name it after some American football guy, right? <laughs> I guess not. Okay. All right. Boy, we got people just getting after it right from the get-go. Man, Ronnie's saying, who cares? About Kansas City. Next topic. We don't. We're, we're not worked up about Kansas City. Ronnie loves FC. Yes, he, does. he does. Ronnie does. Yeah, Ronnie. Ronnie's. I don't know if anybody in the chat is more fired up about the success of Cincinnati sports than Ronnie Smith. Absolutely. All caps. He is. You want to talk about the Homer Show? He is the true Homer Show. Ronnie is. Ronnie, Ronnie is. We yeah. love Ronnie. We love Ronnie. Fired up. About I'm not all a Homer things. guy. So. I mean, I love that Ronnie's here every day. And he is here every day. We appreciate it very, very much. I'm being sincere. Bottom of my heart stuff here. But Homer, I mean, we have plenty of Homers here in the studio. 
<laughs> I mean, we talk about the Bengals, and you thought that they were the Steelers. They've won all these Super Bowl titles. Well, they're going to. I hope you're right. I mean, I really hope you're right. Tom, initial thoughts on Jimmy Butler last night. I mean, he is who he is. Yeah. I got to say, you know, it was amazing. Now, they already had a big lead. But in the second half, he didn't light it up. It was Martin who was lighting it up. That dude. And, you know, the, the, the commentators made the, 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 the point. They said, uh, you know, you might read tomorrow that where did Caleb Martin come from. But if people, people who follow the Heat regularly, they know this guy's delivered the goods in a lot of games. He went over his point total in every game in the Eastern Conference Finals. Yeah, I mean, he's been unbelievable. Yeah. Taking every big shot, taking it to the rack, fadeaways, threes. Oh, yeah. Um, but the bottom line is, is, you know, Butler, I mean, after they lost game one, we're all right. Or when it went to 3-1. Yeah. They lost game five, 3-2. We're all right. 3-3, three, three, right? And then they ran that clip from him a year ago, where this time next year, we're going to be right back here. And we're going to win it next year. Now, that's the kind of guy I want on my team. Yeah. Right? Right. I mean, that dude is a gamer. I'm all about Jimmy Buckets. Gamer. And his, his, his growing up story is one of the greatest stories of all time. Guy was living in his car for a while. I mean, it's, it, it's, a, it, it's an amazing journey. And good for him. So, they'll play the finals. They're a big underdog in that one against... Um, the Denver Nuggets. All right, we're shifting gear to our good friend Scott Springer, who is on the UC beat on everything that is UC. All right, Scott, you tell me. Welcome to the show. Thanks for your time. You yes, want to sir. talk about the weird stuff or the good stuff first? We're going to get to it. <laughs> your show, wherever you want to go, I'll, all right, I'll try all to right, go. I want to ask you about the weird stuff because th th this, this story that you followed up on, I, I think you pointed out to me, you said, look, I don't deserve the credit, meaning you. You said Pat Forty was originally the one who broke this story. Help me with this to make sure I've got this right. Okay, you've got a baseball coach at the, at the University of Alabama who threw a friend or somebody uh, in Cincinnati – is going to bet against his team to lose in a college baseball game against LSU. So he gives this information to a guy who then walks in to MGM inside betting, inside of Great American Ballpark, and places a bet for the Alabama coach to the tune of... Well, I mean, the number I heard was like 50 grand, which is going to raise some eyebrows. Well, clearly raise so, some eyebrows. I mean, right. in, in I mean, fact, first I off, on college sports alone, what you're raising eyebrows because typically people are betting on NFL and pro baseball and pro hoops. Anything college-wise is going to, you know, catch their eyes, and that's what happened. Well, so for those of you that have followed this story, it's an amazing story, and Scott did a beautiful job writing about it. So this bet is made from Great American Ballpark. Well, naturally, sirens are going off. Red flags are going off everywhere. The long and short of it is, correct me if I'm wrong here, Scott, is that the guy who made the bet for the Alabama baseball coach, they tracked down on his phone. They pinged the thing leading to the Alabama coach who's immediately fired. But it turns out the guy who made the bet is the father, and I feel terrible for the kid, is the father of a player on the University of Cincinnati baseball team. 
So what happens next? Well, it's an odd situation. First off, his son didn't even play this year. He was on the roster. I'm not sure if he was injured or what. He appeared in four games the previous year, uh, didn't play a ton. Maybe the dad was bored, but, uh, you know, the story that we were able to confirm, and again, you know, it was Pat Forty and, and Ross Dellinger and Richard Johnson that did the original story. So then my job at this point, let's go confirm, okay, this is what we're hearing. Have you heard this name? And you got to try to talk to some people that, quite honestly, don't want to talk. And uh, UC kind of circled the wagons on their players, and they were not to comment. And, and I can tell them that they didn't. Uh, but, you know, I had to find some people that, that, that could maybe uh, speak about this. And I, I quite honestly feel bad about it. I, I know Andy Nagel. I don't know Kyle Sprague, the other guy. Uh, Andy Nagel's a, a, a decent guy, coached at Moeller eight years. Sent him tape of my own son for some critique at one point. So I got nothing against these guys, but this is the dirty part of my job where you have to report on some negative stuff every now and then. And so this is what happens. Uh, uh, apparently Bert Neff is the man out of Mooresville, Indiana. He works or has been connected with the Indiana elite uh, organization, baseball amateur organization. He sent a lot of kids to college campuses. So he has some connections in college baseball. And obviously one of them must be Brad Bohannon because Brad Bohannon, uh, when they, uh, as the allegations go, when his number one is down with uh, some back tightness, makes a call and then there's a bet for LSU. It's not the smartest thing in the world. You would think a, a coach at, at Alabama would be well set and not need to wager for a living. But, um, you know, it, it, this is the, what we live in now with, with, with gambling. And, uh, you know, you, you guys are sponsored by Betfred. Uh, my yep. own kids have DraftKings on their phones. You can sit and watch a game. Uh, you can bet on is the next pitch a ball or a strike. Um, so we have this temptation around us, and, and, and there it is now. I don't know Mr. Neff. I don't know his son. Uh, the unfortunate thing with Andy Nagel and Kyle Sprague is apparently they had some knowledge of what was going on. What that is, I don't know. Yeah. Was it a conversation? Was it just, well, you know, maybe we're not going to say anything, but uh, you see, I think, in a preliminary strike, let him go. Uh, you look at John Cunningham as an athletic director. He's an attorney. He comes from compliance. He's, he's going to be proactive on any of this stuff. And uh, I, I tell you, in the beginning, I had no idea these two things were connected. I thought it was pretty far-fetched when people said that. And then you, you do some homework and find out, you know, okay, why did the Ohio Gaming Commission shut down activity on Alabama? You know, well, it was the bet was placed at Great American. Why was it placed at Great American? Was it because no one's going to find out there? Who knows? But then it was also shut down in Indiana. Well, Mr. Neff is from Indiana. So then you have two red flags going on there. And then come to find out he's somewhat involved in, in the UC situation. Now, uh, my, my sources say that, that, that Andy Nagel and Kyle Sprague did not bet on, on uh, UC games. So the, the betting angle for them is, is not that they were involved. It, it appears to be that, that they had knowledge of what was going on and therefore we're, we're let go. I'm just having a hard time, Scott. I mean, I, you know, uh, look, um, I mean, you know, I hate to put it like, like this, but it, it just seems to me it's almost like, okay, if you follow the logical trail, and you correct me if I'm wrong here for a second, my son and I were talking about this. The logical trail is the kid for UC 
uh, whose dad made the bets, is probably just showing his stuff on his phone to some teammates. Maybe the coaches catch wind of it from teammates or whatever it might be. Okay, they hear about it. They don't tell anybody about it. And that's the reason they were fired. But, I mean, you know, if, if you or I heard about, you know, this guy's dad in another place uh, was going to steal a car, but right. we didn't tell anybody he was going to steal a car. I mean, I know this is a little bit of a reach here. But, I mean, it just seems to me that, I mean, did, did they really do anything wrong that would force him to lose their job? Well, here's the, the, the issue you run into is that Andy is the director of baseball operations. Therefore, I'm sure he knows every parent. Uh, if, if he is exchanging information with a parent and then that parent were to act on it, then that would be an issue. That's like insider trading and all that. Now, again, I, I do not know what occurred between Nagel Sprague and Bert Neff. I, I can tell you what one one account was that uh, Mr. Neff was described as toxic. So um, other parents knew. Now, okay. no one's coming really forth with, with, with a bunch of that, and I understand why. But um, yeah, it, it's very odd. Then to find out it's all connected with Alabama, and um, gee whiz, it, it, it's, uh, and, and as you mentioned, it's a shame for, for the kid. Uh, and it, it's the same for a lot of things because this could be very costly. Um, you've let two coaches go. To UC's credit, they played five games down on the coaching staff. They beat Houston, a pretty good team. They lost the next four, some one-run games. They lost their last game to number 15 East Carolina and actually were leading before like a four-hour rain delay. So the, the kids kind of recouped and regathered and, and went on. But now you have a team, okay, they're 24 and 33. You're going into the Big 12. Uh, Scott Guggins has done what he could. He did a, a real good job at Xavier, but at UC, it's one winning season out of six. What are they going to do? Central Florida, pretty good team, just let go their coach who had 33, 34 wins. So is there another move to come? We, we don't know. Uh, and that's the sad part of it. it, it you know, uh, Scott might ha have to pay for, for what has happened. Uh, I, I'm not putting words in anyone's mouth. Right. I'm just thinking out loud. I mean, you're going into the Big 12, highly competitive conference. Uh, this is not good news for anyone on the coaching staff, I wouldn't think, uh, nor any players. I've already seen one one player is already in the portal. He didn't play much. But, uh, you know, you see had a fair amount of uh, local kids on that team, some kids from Baden and from Mason and uh, uh, different places. And I, I knew some of them. But, uh, yeah, it, it's 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 not the best of news. And, and then the, the the odd thing, and I know why they did it from a PR standpoint, but th these terminations were on May 17th. Well, on May 23rd, they did the groundbreaking for the nice new indoor facility, and we didn't know anything about the baseball at that point. And then the baseball team still had a game. So I think they were waiting for those two things to occur, and then it became public. So they kind of sat on it for a week because uh, Andy Nagel had been let go his last broadcast. He did color for ESPN+. Plus right. and last game was May 16th and UC had a handful of games after that. So we didn't know for a week, but then you go back to when all this originated, UC's investigation started on uh, May the 8th and, you know, Alabama stuff that the game in question with LSU was April 28th and they made their decision on May 4th with Bohannon. So then things start to tie in. So it, it, it's highly unfortunate for a lot of people. Just, it, it sounds like the actions of one are going to cost 
maybe more. Well, you just hope this thing doesn't all of a sudden more and more and more and more. You know how this thing goes. You know, it, 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 well, they they assumably have his cell phone. So if anyone was texting Bohannon, the cell phone is university property, and you might not want to have his number. It might not be a good number for you to have had. Well, then you better get then Casey Paul. You guys better get it out of your phone. All right, now right, let's right. get it. Let's get over to the good stuff. Um, oh, thank you. <laughs> there, yeah, absolutely. I, and I'd much prefer to talk about the good stuff. Look, there's a lot going on uh, positively about UC. You talked about the groundbreaking. That's going to be a big deal. Going to take two years to build that indoor facility performance center over there. It's going to be spectacular. Uh, so that's one thing. Uh, but then you get into, let's start with football. They land the big transfer from Florida, former four-star uh, recruit. Um, mm-hmm. it, it seems like Satterfield is relentless in his recruiting of not only guys in the portal, but also high school guys. He's got a lot going on in a short amount of time, doesn't he? Well, yeah, and they've kind of taken an NFL model. They hired a general manager. They hired a young man. He was at Western Kentucky, did really well. Ohio State had hired him. Uh, uh, Zach Grant is his name. Cass Simmons is another guy. Uh, Jack Griffith, they got from uh, the New York Jets, who'd been with the pros, and he knows what they look for. And I, I don't want to – they have a ton of staff, so my apologies to any of y'all that I'm leaving your names out. But they've done a dynamite job. And so, you know, it used to be the coaches had to do all this. Well, now you have a personnel staff. You know, remember, for years people would say, well, why don't the Bengals have a personnel staff? And that has grown over the years and, and helped out. But you see, it's, it's, I've never seen anything like it where they have that many people focused on – transfer portal, uh, looking at tape, uh, visits, all that. It, 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 it's a machine. And uh, the result is, if you look at the 2024 class, uh, not this next year, but for 2024, out of the Big 12 schools, they're currently ranked number one. If you go by uh, 247 Sports, uh, they're ranked number one. Um, and that's pretty amazing. Considering that is really, it's really amazing. I mean, that, yeah. is, that is a staggering fact that they're where they are with a guy that's not even coached the game here yet. Right. Well, and uh, they're able to sell the conference, uh, the the media package. I, I, obviously, the NIL probably has something to do with it. I know when that when they come in on a visit, uh, Coach Satterfield said, hey, do you guys see what we're doing there on the corner? And then they show them the plans for all that. I mean, that'll be spectacular. Uh, that's It's so amazing to me how I was there for the groundbreaking. I believe you were too, for the groundbreaking of the bubble. Yeah, uh, and yeah, that was something new. And suddenly the bubble is is out of the way, and you're putting up a permanent structure, which is one of the things Luke Fickle had pushed for for forever and a day. And now it's finally coming. And then the performance center, which will be attached to it, is is something new, and all the sports use it. But you know, this is where they call it refueling. But you know, the kids can uh, after their workouts. Uh, it's it's not like being an athlete. 20 years ago. I mean, these, these kids uh, really have a, a pretty good deal. The same thing, uh, Scott, occur, uh, seems to be occurring on the basketball side. Uh, you know, we know about the guys they lost, and they lost some important guys, including the guy who, who was just a phenomenal player there, a great career into Julius. Um, but they land the big guy from Utah Valley. Um, you know, they, they, Yes, and they look like, they, I mean, again, they haven't played a game yet. And you want to win the season, not necessarily the off season. But would you say it's been a good off season for Wes Miller? I would say, considering who you immediately lost, 
you know, and I, I think every team goes through this anymore because we're all reshuffling the, the roster, the, the way college athletics is going. But, you know, when you lose Landers Nolly and DeJulius graduates and suddenly, okay, Davenport's gone, Adams Woods gone, say what you want about those guys. They had their high points, they helped out. But when you lose a guy, you got to replace him with somebody. But the Aziz uh, Bandiego, I'll, I'll learn the correct pronunciation of his name at some point, but I saw the kid play in that NIT game out in, in uh, Utah. He had 15 points and 12 rebounds. He ran the floor, uh, tremendous wingspan. Uh, I think uh, on the season was five out of 13 from three-point range, which is pretty good for a guy seven feet tall. So uh, I was really impressed with him, as I was with their whole team. And then uh, the, the Butler kid is Seamus. Uh, uh, it's S-I-M-A-S, but pronounced Seamus Locutius. Uh, played at Butler. The Xavier fans are probably a little bit more familiar with him. But, you know, a 6'7 wing that, that can shoot. So maybe that takes the Davenport role. Uh, Jamil Reynolds uh, from Temple, you know, wide body, 6'11", yep. 280 pounds. So you got two different types of big men. But, you know, one seven feet, one 6'11", in addition to having Victor Lonkin, in addition to having Odio Guama. And uh, I, I, you really have to like the front court. Now, in the back court, you're, the question is, are these young guys going to be able to get it done? You lost Adams Woods. You lost to Julius. But you got Jizzle James coming in and uh, Davion Thomas and uh, uh, Rayvon Griffith, I think, is going to be a swing guy. But, uh, you know, the younger guys you got to set, uh, step up at guard. Then there's the, you know, the Tennessee transfer is still out there. I, and I saw that UC was at least involved with him, the Julian Phillips. Goodness, if you add him, you got to feel pretty good going into the Big 12. Um, before I let you go, I want to circle back one more time on football because, you know, look, it used to be at UC basketball ran the boat here in the last number of years. It's being driven by fickle and what he did and everything else. Satterfield comes Ooh. in. Uh, we know the schedule, uh, that UC is going to play. Um, wh what do you think is, is a, is a reasonable win total for this football team this coming year? I mean, they got it. They got Jones who looks to be a player. I mean, has he had his kind of ups and downs and bounced around? Yeah, but, I mean, he's an athlete. He's a player. And it looks like now with Bryant gone, he for sure is a number one guy. We know they have good players. We know they're going into a big-time conference. What's reasonable? Well, I think the defense holds up. I mean, you might be winning games with your defense, but, you know, you look at the defensive line with Corleone and Jawan Briggs, Malik Band is back and all that. So – you ought to be able to hold some teams down. It's like, okay, now can you score? Emory Jones Jr. looked pretty decent during the spring game, probably the best he looked all spring, uh, and, and he was not allowed to run the ball. You know, they had the green uh, shirt on him. The the young freshman, Brady Dragos, was live and was able to, to run some, and, and he looked pretty sharp. And then you didn't see Evan Prater, but, uh, you know, Evan had his, his problems late in the year, but this, this offense is more tailored to his skills. So, you might see him. I we don't know right now. Yet most teams need two quarterbacks in, in in big time football. But you know, looking at the schedule, I thought the schedule when it came out was was decent. So you know, obviously bowl eligibility is is six wins. I think if you get the six wins, you ought to be satisfied at least for now. And then knowing that you got a really good twenty twenty four class coming in. If you get seven, I, I know the uh, uh, whoever gets to predict how many wins the team's going to have. I think. People have said uh, five, 4.5, uh, uh, you know, however the math works. I don't know how you get the half win. Those don't right. seem to count to me, but uh, yeah. Um, 
And I've asked Satterfield that. It's like, well, the, the guys probably have the, a bit of a chip on their shoulder when they're predicted to win maybe four or five. And he said, yeah. And, you know, you've brought in some some junior college guys have been at, at – uh, at decent programs you got you know four gators now jordan young and defensive backfield uh, dj taylor um emory at, at quarterback and now the uh, the new receiver um xavier henderson and uh i have seen some of him catching deep balls and that that's a nice threat to have so yeah sec is pretty good you get some yep. sec talent uh that, that that that's pretty good so it, it's a big question mark i know because we really haven't seen these guys we have nothing to base it on i think if you can get to a bowl game though you ought to be happy this year all right all right scott we really appreciate your time and your expertise on everything thanks so much my friend appreciate it good luck to the mighty warriors uh tomorrow and, and young luke and go we, we we miss you on that beat you know i mean you're a big time operator now over at uc but i mean when you were doing the high school thing you know, my son was getting to know you, talking to you all the time over there. Well, he, he's a media legend, you know. He, he does. He's calling games and, and saving uh, goals and all that. So uh, well, it's in the blood, man. All right. All right. Well, thank you. We miss seeing you at those games. But continue the great work. Thank you, Scott. Scott Springer go from Cincinnati.com. Good man. Good man. Yeah, he, he, he would go down there, and this time of year, he'd be, uh, he'd be uh, like at that game tomorrow night that the Warriors were playing. He yep. was all over everything. Football, lacrosse, basketball. He was a guy. It was funny to watch him when he'd walk in. We were doing some basketball games here on Chatterbox, uh, high school games. And, uh, you know, we're doing, I think, Taft and Woodward one night um, at Woodward. And we get to the gym a couple hours, you know, hour and a half before the game, two hours before the game, whatever it is. Scott's kind of sitting back there and down there in the corner. And, I mean, everybody who's anybody was at that game um, in, in anybody who's anybody in high school sports, basketball, was at that game. And, I mean, you could barely get over and talk to Scott. Every coach over there wanted to come over and talk to him and, hey, have you seen this team? What do you think about that guy? Blah, blah, blah. And I'm really happy for him that he's uh, uh, been bumped up, I guess you could call it, by uh, being on the UCB. Good stuff to say there, though, about Satterfield. Yeah. Did you write in the chat that you're not so sold yet on Satterfield because he hasn't coached the game? Did I just read that? Casey's or? had some great takes in the chat. Well, he had a tired days. one a minute ago. I'll follow <laughs> What? Go the, ahead. The one about the Big Ten? Of course. Well, Casey's hang on. Just hang railing on. on the Big let, Ten. Yeah, of course. Me, if you go look, go look the last couple of years and how they did in bowl games. The Big Ten went out and kicked people's tail. Well, that's not what I'm. That's not what I'm getting at. I all I said was UC is going to the second hardest conference in college football. The Big Ten, the if you second out, hardest conference in college football. Yeah, there were two teams from the Big Ten last year that were in the Final Four. Correct. Not one of them played in a title game, though. No, they no, did not. I, Tom, Tom, <laughs> let me let me explain my take. Well, really Michigan, quickly. that's did what the they Big do Twelve for play a it though. Let yeah. me explain my take because. All right, let me say timeout. Let yeah. me say timeout because we got a guest coming up in about eight minutes. Okay. okay. My age is showing. Mm. So I'm going to throw it to the Ham and Eggers. But we're going to talk about this, Casey. Don't do it while I'm gone. We're going to talk about this when I get back. Okay. Ham and Eggers. It's that time of the show, the Ham and Eggers. These guys are great. Trust me. I would know. I introduce all the best segments. Oh. Locked down. All right. It's Tuesday. It's not Monday. I was about to say it's Monday. Welcome back. Welcome back from the weekend, though. Hope everybody enjoyed your long weekend. I know I did. 
went out grilled yesterday. Long. I let me tell you what. I ate so much food yesterday. I had to lay down to watch the Celtics game. I was so sick. I, was, <laughs> I thought I was going to throw up. Yeah, it was I, not good. You know, I didn't have a ton of food yesterday, but I had. There's just something about when you go out and grill on on like Fourth of July, on Memorial Day, or just whatever day it is during the summer. You have a couple hot dogs. You have a hamburger. Oh man! It just it's, it sits there, you know. Oh yeah. It fills you up. Oh yeah. Yeah, I had uh, I had two of the the burgers from Lizzie's Farm, and those are like thick, really good, authentic, time, authentic cheeseburgers, <laughs> genuine. Couple of big plates, big dessert, some beers mixed in. Mm. It was not a good recipe for about second quarter of the Celtics game last night. Mm. Not good stuff. Food was good though. The Bearcats report that you just heard from Scott Springer is brought to you by Encore Technologies. Encore Technologies provides IT solutions for a data-centered world with a suite of services from mobile computing to desktop to data center, supporting both centralized and work-from-home computing models to improve efficiency and productivity. Visit Encore.tech. The path to innovation begins here. We also have Pawnee Water. We actually need some more Pawnee Water. I need some Pawnee Water. Got Pawnee Water bottles right there. If if the Pawnee guys are listening, we could use some more Pawnee water. I got some Pawnee water right there in front of us. Uh, but uh, we're, we're running low on our Pawnee supply. Yeah, we are. We need some more. Made in Hamilton right across the street uses natural limestone filtration. Unlike the artificial processing that many other brands use, the result, a healthy alkaline water that is also the best tasting water in the world. Visit their website at PawneeWater.com. That is P-A-H-H-N-I Water.com. P-A-H-H-N-I Water.com to see where you can buy it. Drink uh, drink, Pawnee Pawnee Water. Water. Get your coffee from UDF. Bet with Betfred. And get your technology solutions from Encore.tech. And if you are looking for some water, there's lots of locations. There's actually a gas station right by my place. Like walking distance where I can go get Pawnee water. I think that's just incredible. All the way up there. Well, you're in Hamilton down there to Mason. And uh, just check out your local gas stations. See if they're there. Take a picture. Send it to us. Yeah. Tag us on Twitter. We'd love to have them. We're trying hard. hard. We're trying very, very hard. We you know, hope that happens. You know, we, we were talking about the Big Ten and everything, and just because we're talking about – you were asking about the transfer portal and UC basketball and everything, everybody keeps bringing up the idea of the regional tournament. If you think about how many schools around here have really good basketball programs, I think it would be awesome. And we've advocated for it for a while to get, you know, UD, UC, Xavier, Ohio State, uh, the, the Ohio teams, because Indiana does their own, so you wouldn't do, like, IU, Butler, Purdue – they no, do the Kentucky. Crossroads Classic. Kentucky and Louisville play their own thing. It would be an Ohio deal. The problem with that is there's no – the openings on the schedule are very limited for, like, Ohio State, Xavier. Uh, I, I don't really know the ins and outs of how Dayton schedules. Yeah. But well, I, I saw know, where they're playing UC again this year. Yeah, they're playing down at Heritage Bank. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But, I like, the in the Big Ten and in the Big East and in the Big 12, too, they have contracts with – you know, the Big Ten Big East Challenge, the Big 12 Big East Challenge. Yep. Then you, you go and you play in your little tournament wherever you go and play that. Then you play a couple of bye games. Xavier and UC have the shootout. There's just there's only so many open days because you can't play back-to-back days. So there's only there's only so many open actual dates on a schedule 
that you can play games like that. And you can't do that with the way that the schedule is structured right now. Like a couple years down the road, if they plan that in advance, it'd be something. A lot of people have talked about it, and it sounds like it's something that the coaches would be at least more open to having the conversation about because Chris Holtman at Ohio State is way more open to those kinds of conversations than Thad Mata ever was. Thad Mata never entertained those kinds of deals. I I don't think there is a law, but go ahead. Finish your thing. No, no. I was just going to say that I I love the idea because everybody talks, you know, Xavier and UD don't play anymore. Xavier and Cincinnati, they have to, because that's the other thing. Like if, if Xavier and Cincinnati played in that tournament, what happens to the shootout? Do you still do the shootout? All those like because yep. they're contract contractually obligated to play every year in the shootout. So there's a lot of moving pieces to put a tournament like that together. Maybe you mix in a couple of buy games with you know a Toledo or a, a Bowling Green or OU Miami whoever. Well, they don't want to play OU. They don't want to play them, especially down there. No, they want no part of the convo. No. But I think there is a law. I could be wrong on this. I, I, I'm pretty sure or there's, there, there's some kind of agreement in football where college football. Ohio State has to play at least one, used to be two, but now the games have kind of changed a little bit and that kind of thing. They have to play at least one in-state school every single year on their schedule as a payday to keep it in Ohio. Oh. So, I mean, every year you'll see. That, you know, they've played UC. They've played Miami. they played Ohio University. They'll play Toledo. They'll play Kent State. They'll play, you know, somebody like the Akron. They'll play those teams, and everybody looks at them on their schedule, not UC, but they might look at them on their schedule, certainly not Toledo anymore, but they look at them on their schedule and go, oh, come on. That's a layup. That's a patsy. No. It's not like, you know, teams Alabama's playing down there that are Division Two out of conference. This is at least a Division One Mid-American Cup. But, but the goal there is, and this is where I think what you're saying here, I, to me, just from a fiscal standpoint, I'd like to see, because you know you'd have huge crowds for those games. Oh, yeah. I mean, Xavier's going to sell out every game anyway. But you could sell out Heritage Bank Arena when UC plays Dayton. Or you could sell out UD Arena if Xavier went up there. Right? Yeah. And I mean, all of a sudden, you know, now the money comes back to the schools here in Ohio. I like that idea. Oh, I love the idea. I think a lot of people have advocated for the idea for a long time. I'm just, I'm just explaining how the schedule works, that there are only a certain amount of days that you can make it happen, and you'd have to plan it so far in advance to block off those days. It's not just, you know, because college basketball, the, the schedule is a whole lot more flexible in the sense, sure. in the sense of – the schedules that football we know in yeah. 2032 That's who right. these guys are going to play. That's right. Basketball you don't have the whole schedule filled out until August or September of that year to a certain point. You know, you don't find out your conference schedule till around Labor Day. So there's there are a little more uh, there's a little more flexibility there, but it's just finding open dates on four high major schedules or three in UD. But even UD playing getting down in getting down to to play and you see you know that's things things that you can make happen it just would take a long planning process ronnie says dayton should be in the big east you buy that no that won't happen just because of the market you know you look at some of these other teams that have advocated to get into the big east and dayton school wise i guess does kind of fit the big east model you know the catholic 
school with a good basketball program that doesn't have a high major football program. But between Xavier and UD, Xavier was the one that got the Big East bid, and, and that would be two competing markets. I can't imagine the Big East schools would approve that. I don't think the Big East is looking to expand. Like, VCU has gotten brought up before. Dayton obviously gets brought up all the time. I, I think if you're looking to expand in the Big East, you're looking at a school like Gonzaga if they could ever figure out how to make that work. Boy, they fit right into that Big East, well, Gonzaga. I mean, you know, <laughs> right around the corner from uh, – <laughs> Connecticut there. <laughs> yeah. And then who knows if Connecticut leaves. Connecticut going to the Big 12. That's supposedly right around the corner. So we'll see. Don't know. Yeah, because UConn is, you know, I mean, they haven't had the level of success, but they're pouring money into the football thing. Jim Moore, I think, is their coach. He is. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I mean, and, and, and that guy's a good football coach. There's no doubt about it. And so they're, they're pouring they, – look, at the end of the day, it's where the money is. If you play big-time football, man, cash is the king. And you get in those deals with those leagues. There was an article written over the weekend by Scott Springer. I should ask him about it. About the amount of money that is now going to come into the coffers that you see uh, by th this move going to the Big 12. Billions of dollars we're talking about over the you know, course of many, many years. But this is a huge deal. And uh, where all this conference stuff is going, we got to find somebody out there who, uh, who really knows what they're talking about when it comes to this, you know, sort of looking into a crystal ball of where all of this madness ends up. You know, Clemson, for example, keeps saying, no way we're leaving the ACC. Well, then all of a sudden that story comes out about a week and a half ago that some of these schools like North Carolina and Virginia that would have big appeal. Yeah. in both football and basketball. Academically, they fit in very, very well with the Big Ten. That's kind of where they are. You know what I mean? Their academics are really good. They, they have all the stuff, right? They got the medical schools and the law schools. They're not as big as Ohio State and Penn State and some of these places in Michigan. But that's big-time appeal now. Where do you stand, Tom, on the idea of – conference-less college sports because it almost feels like that's where we're headed it 10 does. years down the line to where at least in football it's just going to be everybody playing anybody and you may, you might have some regional matchups here and there but these conferences are going to get swallowed up if you look at the big 10 going out to usc ucla sec just keeps expanding they're bringing in texas and oklahoma at what point here in 10 or 15 years are we just going to be saying the schedule is what it is and you're not playing in a conference because the conferences are it's, – it's almost like an Eastern and a Western conference in professional right. sports. Well, so I, mean, I, I think for the superpowers is where you're going to see all that kind of thing, right? I still think like the Mid-American Conference is still a rock-solid conference. They really are. And look, none of their teams are getting recruited to the Big Ten – or the SEC, or fill in the blank. I mean, so like there, um, and, and you know, there are some other smaller ones around that are gonna are gonna survive. Uh, Big East basketball is going to survive. Uh, they might even add teams to it. Yes, they could lose the UConn, but maybe you know they've been in and out before. And then you pick up somebody else, and okay, you're still yeah. good Big East basketball. I, yeah, I, I don't see UConn the way this is trending. I don't think UConn will be in the Big East in five years. Yeah. Well, because football. Yeah. 
exclusively because of football. Yeah. Uh, there's more to it than football, but yeah. But that's a big part. That is a big part of okay. it. Yeah. Okay. Because, yeah. I mean, they want to get to a point where, you know, they're playing a schedule of, you know, they're playing Ohio State. They're playing Michigan, right? Yeah. Those kinds of teams. Basketball, they're playing, you know, in the Big Ten, playing the Michigan States and all that. Now, is that any better basketball than the Big East? Uh, you know, who knows? Flip a coin. Big East tends to do better in the tournament. Regular season, Big Ten gets all the pup. Um, which, by the way, did Zach Eady ever make a decision that re- – He has till tomorrow. He does. Yeah, he has. The, the, the deadline to pull your name out is May 31st. Okay. So, we'll, we'll find out tomorrow. It. And, and, and as we know, uh, Xavier is playing Purdue this year in West Lafayette. Yep. So will the big fella be there? All right. Do we have Peter ready to go? We do. All right. Good. It's a real pleasure. Uh, kind enough to join us. I mean, he's been doing this stuff in baseball for a long, long time at the Boston Globe. Peter Abraham, thank you so much for joining us. Reds and the Red Sox, Peter. Um, you and I are, well, I'm not going to say you. I'm not going to say that. Because I went gray early, so you might be going gray early. Uh, so many <laughs> around here. <laughs> still, a lot of us around here still love to talk about the 75 World Series. Yeah, you know, I think this is the time the Reds have been back at Fenway Park since then. Something like that. Uh, uh, if first or second time. But you're right, not much. Yeah, so this is going to be interesting. Um, I think Louis Tian is actually going to be at this series. Uh, so that'll be fun. Uh, lots to talk about, but uh, yeah, this is uh, for uh, people who follow the Red Sox back then. This is going to be an interesting series. All right, let me talk to you about Boston a little bit. Um, you know, they had the eight-game winning streak. They just get back from a West Coast trip. Give give us the macro view, if you would, Peter, on, on the Red Sox and their season so far. Uh, they've been a very good offensive team. They've been a very poor pitching team. So they're kind of right where they are because of that. A couple games over five hundred in last place in the American League East, which there's no shame in being last place in the American League East because everybody's got a winning record. Everybody's got a pretty good team. But they haven't really been able to put together anything beyond that eight-game winning streak. They're 7-11 they're and 11 since. They had a losing record before then. So it's kind of been a lot of ups and downs this season, really going back to the first week of the season. So they're trying to get on a more consistent role than, than just like a week and a half, and they haven't been able to do that yet. Now, a lot of teams have been injured, so, you know, everybody has their own issues. But uh, a couple of important pieces of what could be on paper anyway, uh, an unbelievable lineup. Uh, let's start with Adam Duvall, because a lot of us around here just think the world of this guy. He's from the road, you know, down the road in Louisville, Kentucky. Started his really his major league career here uh, and has since gone on. Now, he's on the comeback trail back relatively soon, right? Actually, today is the day he starts his rehab assignment, and that he can't, he's not eligible to come off the 60-day tonight, so the rehab assignment will take a little bit of time. He's going to be with their AAA team tonight, uh, probably as a DH. They'll work his way back into the field, and the hope is, and his goal is, to come back on the first day he's eligible, and that would be a huge lift to this lineup. He had a OPS over 1,000 when he got injured, uh, playing very well in center field, doing all the things they, they hoped he was going to do. And they, they've been able to score runs without him, but with him, they're obviously a much better team. And the same thing for Trevor Story. Uh, now, he, he's going to be a little bit longer coming back, right? Yeah, he had uh, a modified Tommy John surgery back in December after they made a bunch of decisions, uh, including not bringing Xander Bogarts back. So that was a big setback for them. Uh, he's on the 60-day IL. He just got down to back to Florida to start building up with the hopes of coming back around Maybe the first week of July, maybe the All-Star break, somewhere in there. 
He hasn't started playing any games yet. It's just the, sort of the typical uh, building up stuff that they do after Tommy John. So they need him to come back and be able to play shortstop uh, because they're okay at second base. So it's going to be uh, another one of these things where they need to make sure he's fully healthy before they can bring him back. Peter, help, help me a little bit here in, in our audience uh, on on really what is going on compared to what was going on. You know, the, the, the Theo Epstein days were there. They've been gone a long time. The Terry Francona days, they've been gone for a long time. Normally, it was Boston among a handful of teams going out and buying guys uh, if they could get them and, and get them to come to Boston. Now they're letting some guys leave. And, and I'm not saying whether it's good or bad. You would know a heck of a lot more about it than I do. Where are they, in your opinion, with, with, with what they're trying to do? Well, what they had done for a long time, and pretty successfully given the, the four World Series, was every year it was, you know, World Series or bust. We have to put together the best team we can and pursue winning the World Series at, all, at basically at all expense. They, they always had very high payrolls. And that paid off, but it also led to a few teams that finished in last place, a lot of inconsistency. So when they hired Hyam Bloom after the 2019 season, the idea was they were going to be consistently competitive, that they would build up their farm system, they would make a lot of the small moves to bolster their roster, and pick their spots where they spent money. Essentially, the Tampa Bay model, but better funded. And it hasn't really worked out. They've been essentially a 500 team since then. They let Mookie Betts go. They let Xander Bogarts go. They let Nate Ovaldi go. Uh, they've let some pretty good pitch players, and particularly pitchers, go, thinking that they can replace them internally. They'll make small moves that won't be expensive but will pay off, much like the Rays have been able to do. And in some cases, that's worked out pretty well. Uh, Duval was one of those. It was a one-year deal. I think it was $8 million. They felt like you know he was going to be productive, and he really was until he got hurt. Uh, so it's been, I think, aggravating to the fan base to some degree that had been used to star players and, and chasing the World Series. It needs to pay off, I think, sometime soon for them to commit to this going down the road. And it really hasn't yet. I mean, they're in last place in the American League East, which is not something they're used to here. Uh, you know, I, I, I've told the story many, many times about, uh, look, I, I, I grew up my whole life in baseball and then broadcast for 31, 32 years in the big leagues. Uh, but it wasn't until and, – and you hear so much about Red Sox fandom and nation. I had a few days off uh, in, during the season right around the All-Star break, I, I, maybe eight, ten years ago. Uh, and my wife and I and another couple went up to Maine. None of us had ever been up there before. Um, and we walk into uh, you know, one of the joints on the water there, get a, get a beer and get some seafood. Uh, and here we are in Maine. And the amount of people that are just glued to the television to watch a Red Sox game in July. I, I got to tell you, Peter, I mean, I, I've been there. I broadcast playoff games there, regular season games there, the whole nine yards. It wasn't until then that it struck me how rabid the following is of that team. Is there any way to put it into words that makes it different than anybody else? Because after seeing that and being there the next couple of days, I think it is different than any other team. Yeah, well, there's a couple of things at play. It's the only big league team in a six-state region. So there's there's a lot of people beyond just one metropolitan area following the team. And this goes back for, you know, decades and decades. And when they won the World Series in 2004, if you went to basically any cemetery in Massachusetts, Rhode Island, Vermont, Maine, New Hampshire – People had put Red Sox banners and, and Red Sox hats on the gravestones of their fathers and their grandfathers and their grandmothers 
because they never got a chance to see the team win the World Series, and they finally did. And and this was not something that happened once in a while. It was everywhere you went. And, and there were the editor and phone calls to radio stations about how this had finally happened and everyone's dream had come true. And then they did it again in 07. They did it again in 13. They did it again in 18. And it's become a mania. I mean, Fenway Park is largely always sold out, although that hasn't always been the case this year. Uh, everywhere you go in, in, in certain places, the only thing that matters is the Red Sox. Uh, the Patriots usurped quite a bit of that during their run. Uh, and it's, that changed, I think, things in New England to some degree. But there are still places where, you know, what the Red Sox do on a daily basis is hugely important. It's reflected in the people who read our coverage, uh, the ratings that they get on television. It's a, you know, part of life here is following the Red Sox. And I think the person who has the hardest job in New England is the guy who's managing the Red Sox because everyone else is convinced they could probably do a better job. Uh, last question, John Henry. Uh, I, I have had a chance to meet him a number of times. Uh, you've been around him a heck of a lot more than I have. He, he's a very reserved guy, very smart guy. I don't think there's any doubt about that. Really smart guy. Um, but uh, you know, I thought you were going to say when you said the hardest job in, in New England or Boston might be the owner of the Boston Red Sox because of that. Well, that's the most criticized job in Boston. <laughs> sure. uh, he's been under the heat, right? Yeah, it's, you know, when they first bought the team, uh, it, he, well, he was somebody who came from out of town, so there were some suspicions there. When they won the World Series, he became a savior, you know, the guy who, who finally snapped the Babe Ruth curse. In the years since, he's purchased other things. Uh, he, he now owns the Liverpool soccer team in England. He owns the stock car racing team. He owns the Pittsburgh Penguins, Boston Globe, where I work. And so a lot of people think that his focus has shifted elsewhere, away from the Red Sox. That's why they've had a couple of tough years, uh, going, you know, going back to 2020 and, and last year. And, and people blame that, uh, you know, that he's lost his focus. He owns these other properties. Now, as you know, the, you know, the owner of a team is not sitting there every day going, well, who are we bringing up today to pitch in the mm -hmm. seventh inning? He has other people who do that. I don't think that he's lost his focus. I, I think, like any other businessman, he has other interests. Uh, because it's sports teams, I, I can see where fans think that maybe he's lost his focus. But everybody who owns any team in sports usually owns other things. And that's how they made their money. So I don't know that that's it, but uh, this for the first time, really, since he's been owner these last couple of years, there's been a lot of backlash and, and questioning about what they're doing because it's a much different philosophy than they had their first 15 years. Yeah. Peter, we, uh, we cannot thank you enough for your time. This has been uh, fabulous having you with us and uh, wish you all the best. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks. Same to you guys. I appreciate it. All righty, Peter Abraham, a long-time baseball columnist from the Boston Globe. Uh, I would highly recommend you check his stuff out. Uh, he, 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 I mean, I'm telling you, I, I, it, it, it really is indescribable. And I worked for the other franchise in baseball where their following is insane, the Cubs. But, you know, he just made a point about – now, the one thing the Cubs had going way, way back, for the younger generation, this doesn't matter anymore. But what the Cubs had and what the Braves had, and to a slightly lesser extent what the Mets had, and some of you, your eyes will be crossed when I say this because you'll have no idea what the hell I'm talking about. Basically, everybody in America had cable TV, okay, when cable first started. And for whatever reason – Seemingly, every cable uh, operator in the United States of America, from New York to California, uh, down to Florida and Texas, 
every one of those cable operators had WGN from Chicago and had TBS in Atlanta. Some would have WOR in New York, some didn't. But this was back in the day when uh, local television deals were only doing, say, 50 games a year, like Channel 5 here with the Reds. That was the same in every market. Except in those markets, they were the first stations to do every game on television. Oh, and by the way, they just happened to be on super stations from coast to coast. So, you know, they used to call uh, Ted Turner. You know, he owned the Braves, he owned TBS, he owned Turner Broadcasting, CNN, blah, blah, blah. They became America's team, okay, even though for many of those years they stunk. The Cubs got a following because they're on a superstation, and they've got Harry Carey as their announcer. The Mets are on a superstation. They've got a phenomenal team, one in the World Series, right? McCarver's in a booth. They got Gooden and Strawberry and all these guys running around. It was, it, it, those were three teams that, that had an unbelievable following. And the Cubs of those three have by far the biggest following. More than Atlanta, more than the Mets. Boston, I mean, you just heard him say, there are six states up there in New England. That's the only game in town. And to see it just kind of like we did, my wife and I and Pat and Eddie Shepard, we walk in this place late in the afternoon. Red Sox game is on. And it wasn't like a bunch of people where it was. You go into a lot of bars in this town, and you won't even see the Reds game on. Nope. I mean, it's blown me away how frequently that happens now. There is no way in a six-state region including every bar in Boston. If the Red Sox are playing and they have a television in that establishment, that game is on the Red Sox. It's, it's amazing. It is unbelievable. It, What's also – go ahead, Paul. Well, I was going to say it's also amazing in, in Boston how little they care about collegiate sports and how much they care about professional sports. We talk a lot about – the different regions of the country and who cares more about what, whether it's high school or college or professional or whatever it is. Out there in Boston, it is all professional sports. Nobody goes to Boston college games. I mean, it's, it is all professional. Now, they care about hockey. College hockey out there is big. Boston University yep. and the rest. But it's all professional, and it's really it, – it's the Red Sox, it's the Bruins, it's the Patriots, it's the Celtics – that's all they care about. They've had their uh, a long stint of success in Boston, that's for sure. After being a long time where they weren't. Uh, John Henry's an interesting guy, man. Like I said, I've had a chance to be around him a little bit. Small town, made a gazillion dollars, really smart dude. Uh, interesting guy to talk to. All right, let's see. Anybody in the chat, anything interesting? Reed Mouse is getting killed, as uh, you would expect. <laughs> and you're even piling on me haven't you piled on Reed a little bit uh, for his Cubs boy how bad are the Cubs I mean seriously how bad are they they're not good Tom holy Moses now look at the end of the day are they, you know maybe their record ends up being better than the Reds when all is said and done I don't know you don't know nobody knows but gosh, 
watching them this weekend. They stink. They're not good. The NL Central just stinks in general, Tom. I mean, they they legitimately could have a chance to win it. Like they they're only back four games. Milwaukee is slowly declined. Pittsburgh really declined. They started what you said twenty and six to start the season. Now they're twenty six and twenty seven. They're below five hundred. It's incredible. I mean, I don't know if we've ever seen a uh, winner in a division that was below 500, if that's even possible. But man, This year, that is a very real possibility. Yeah, we might see it this year. Might see it. And then there's the Pirates. Will they start 20 and 6? Yeah. They're going to go, they're 26 and 27 right now. Yeah, I mean, at what point do we head on over to our good friends and, and have a little sit-down conversation with Fred about the Reds winning the NL Central? Listen, according to our ticker, it was plus 8,000. 8,000? To win the NL Central. I mean, I think that's worth <laughs> I'm going to put... Oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. Nick Kirby says, bet Fred dropped the Reds' NL Central odds from plus 8,000. To now plus forty two hundred. Oh, okay. They caught on. I was gonna say. Tell you what, still a damn good bet. If it's eight thousand, I was gonna put fifty bucks on that, no doubt. I mean, still forty two hundred's not. No, I mean, I I'm not complaining about twenty one hundred dollars. It's not four grand, but no, it's not. But Nick Kirby is going to join us on Thursday, and look, we're gonna get into this whole thing because look. We're the only guys in town, and I listen to a lot of talk radio. We're the only guys in town on this show that have been laying out to all of you from the very beginning. This isn't patting ourselves on the back, but we've been paying attention to these players the Reds made in all these deals, right? Who they brought in from Minnesota, who they brought in from Seattle, who they've been drafting, who they've been signing. What positions do they play? What positions are they good at? Which positions are they not good at defensively? What would be the long-term play for Steer, Encarnacion Strand, India, Cruz, McLean, Marte, all these guys? Nick Kirby's all over this stuff. He's going to join us on um, Thursday. See Trent Rosecrans in The Athletic. Writes about it at length. Today, talking about Jonathan India specifically, and we have talked a lot about Jonathan India on this show. He is having a heck of a year. Offensively, he is really having a good year. He's getting on base. He's hitting the ball. Yeah, he hit a couple of home runs on Saturday, but that's not his game. But he's, he's still going to be a 12 to 17 or 18 home run guy for you, but he's getting on base. He's stealing bases. They're running the bases aggressively, which has been fun to watch. Um, but it just threw out, you know, the, the whole thing about Jonathan India because the, apparently the drum is beating on Ellie De La Cruz. Right? Yep. Right around the corner. Well, I mean, you get that feeling. There's momentum there. I don't know if that's a real feeling inside the baseball operations offices at Great American Ballpark or not. I mean, they're clearly paying attention to his every move. You know, when they bring him up this year to AAA, 
He's striking out a lot, striking out a ton. But now all of a sudden, the last 22 games, knocking the cover off the ball. He's only averaging a strikeout a game. He was averaging about two a game. He's walking a lot more than he was. So they wanted to see that improve. They wanted to see his uh, plate discipline improve. He hits the ball harder on that exit velocity stuff, apparently, than anybody else in the game. He can run as fast as anybody in the game. He's as athletic as anybody in the game. ESPN just named him the number one overall prospect in Major League Baseball. Not the Reds overall, the overall. So now he's tearing it up. Team's out of town. They were in Chicago. Now they're going to Boston. If they bring him up, and this is what C. Trent Rosecrans is writing about. But we've been talking about this on this program for weeks. Weeks. We've been wondering, what are they going to do? If, if you buy into this whole thing about, you know, maximizing the value of players, and if you feel like you want to move players would now be the ideal time to bring up De La Cruz and trade Jonathan India. Now, there are a lot of people that go ballistic when you bring this up. But this is one of the things you have to start thinking about. At AAA this year, when McLean would play shortstop, De La Cruz would go to third. When De La Cruz would play shortstop, McLean would go to second. McLean is unquestionably a better defensive player than Jonathan India. And I think everybody would agree, at least early on, and I was lecturing Casey earlier today, don't get too excited. Let's give it time. <laughs> but you're seeing signs that McLean, I mean, do you think he, he has a chance to be a better offensive player than India? Do you think he does? Okay, that's one question. We know he'd be better on defense. Okay, now, now you go to third. Well, you know, you had Steer there. He was starting to play well at third. But they moved him over to first, where he's playing first a lot. You have Stevenson, who, you know, has, has been the DH or first baseman more than he's been a catcher. You have this Marte kid coming up, who's tearing it up at double A. He's a third baseman. You've got Encarnacion Strand, who everybody across the board agrees is a DH. So, if you start looking at where are they going to be and who's going to be there, they floated around with the idea about India going out to left field. But then people say, well, you know, they got guys out there that, you know, are, are better defenders. Everybody's always questioned India's arm. That's why they got him off third to begin with. He was a third baseman at Florida in college. Um, he's not a good defensive player. Would you consider, Paul, I'll start with you. Would you consider, and I'm not throwing in a towel yet on Barrero as being a regular somewhere on this team down the road. I'm not. They've moved him into the outfield a little bit. A lot of people are down on him. Ronnie says Barrero stinks. I thought you said Ronnie was a homer. He is a homer. All right. Well, he just said Barrero stinks. So, 
Um, uh, Nick is saying uh, it felt like the idea of moving trading India that was mentioned by uh, all of Rosenthal, Sadak, Brantley over the last week wasn't a coincidence. Do I believe the Reds could be leaking something? No, I don't. I worked there for a long time and not one time ever. In fact, it's never happened anywhere I've ever worked. And I always work for the team, not for the media outlet. I have never had, in my 30-plus years of broadcasting local baseball, I have never had a general manager from the team that I'm working for or anybody else in the baseball ops come in uh, to the booth and say, hey, you got a minute? Listen, and I want you to start just kind of float around the idea out there about, you know, would India be a trade candidate? Never had that happen. And I can promise you, as it pertains to Sadak and Brantley, that that has not happened. I'd bet a lot of money on it. Now, Ken Rosenthal, I can't speak to that. I think Ken Rosenthal brought up some great points in his article on The Athletic about the trade value of Jonathan India right now. But also, taking a page out of your book, Tom, the value of a guy like Jonathan India who is proven at the major league level, and as you always say, just waiting on the minor league guys to come up and actually prove it themselves too. I mean, we assume that Ellie De La Cruz is going to be good. We assume that Matt McClain is going to stay good. We assume that Christian Encarnacion Strand is going to be good. But we know that Jonathan India is good. Well, okay. Pause. Okay. India had a very good Rookie of the Year award, right? The Jackie Robinson Award. His rookie year was very good. Uh, his second year, he was hurt and he stuck. Yeah. Period. So now here we are two months into his sort of uh, rubber year, for lack of a better year. Okay, he had one really good one, one not so good one, which you could say had to do with injuries, and, and that's true. But two months into now, this third year, he's been very good, right? Okay, so go ahead. Well, I think that was more so just my point that if you assume that India is going to at least stay on this trajectory of being a better player than he was last year when you can kind of throw that out with injuries and everything else. And it just didn't – it seems like last year you would hope would be the outlier uh, with Jonathan India. And, you know, I, I don't think you should discount, like Ken pointed out, the intangibles too. It seems like the guys like him. There's some trust, some leadership there that you finally have some stability with a player who has proven themselves at the major league level and has been around for a couple of years, I think it'd be a tough look to, to trade him now. At least I think so. Okay. I, w I wouldn't, um, but I certainly understand the thought that if you're going to get value out of him, right now you're getting as much value out of him as you probably will with as well as he's playing. So, and, and he's improving as a defensive second baseman too yeah i mean my my whole thing with the india question is you're talking about moving him to an outfield position which you don't even know if he'll even agree to that you don't know because it, for one correct me if i'm wrong second base is a lot more lucrative than playing in the outfield yeah so it's kind of like the same conversation that you would have with jonah williams like hey well we need you to play right tackle. We need you to go play left field. I mean, uh, 
I uh, like India and his leadership and what he brought to the team. I think his stock is actually pretty high right now, um, all things considered. But to your point, Paul, I, I don't know what the answer is. I just think that what we've seen from him and that he's getting better at, at each series as it comes along, I don't think – that we've seen his peak level this year. India. I really, huh? Yeah, India. Okay. India. I don't think we've seen his peak performance yet. I really don't. And I think he can still continue to get better and better, especially at second base. I mean, he's proven it, right? That's he's, a fit. I mean, those are all valid, fair points. No question about it. Um, you know, Jordan wrote in here says, uh, unless you're getting an ace in return, pitching ace, um, would be about ownership just being cheap and not wanting to pay their own good players. I, I don't agree with that in this one. Uh, I, I get where you're going maybe in some other cases. Jonathan India, it'll be his first year of arbitration. He's going he's gonna to get a huge jump in salary if he keeps playing like he's playing. But it's not going to be one of these earth-shattering deals where he jumps up to 12, 14, 15, 18. That's not going to happen. It'll be, it'll be a nice bump. It'll be like you know five or six million, something like that. Uh, which isn't tip money, but or some guys it is. It's tip money, but um, this wouldn't be about about whether or not you're paying India. This would not be that. This would be about taking all emotion out of it, taking out of his leadership, good looks, the long hair, popular with a fan base. All those things, which are all very real things. You can roll your eyes when you say that stuff, but they're all very real things. They really are. He's a gamer. He's a likable guy. He says all the right stuff. He was asked in this article by C. Trent. He says, hey, man, I'm just thinking about going out there and playing the best that I can every day and us winning games. I'm not worried about any of the other stuff. Those were basically his quotes in this article. Because C. Trent Rosecrans directly asked him, do you feel like, you know, with all these young guys coming up, uh, are you feeling the heat about not being here anymore? And he's like, well, anybody who, who's in Major League Baseball, there are always guys behind you coming up. So, you know, if you want to sit there and look over your shoulder and wonder about this, 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 and this, you better be paying the attention, right, about what's in front of you, not behind you. And you just got to go out and keep grinding and keep playing. And he's that guy. I mean, you know, a lot of people can say Votto is still the leader of the team. Believe me when I tell you. People can say that stuff. But if you're not playing, and I don't care who you are, if you're not playing, you ain't the leader of the team. And that's not your fault. That's not a knock on Votto. The guys in the clubhouse are around the guys in the clubhouse who are playing, who are putting on their uniforms, and they're going out and busting their tail, whether that's leading by example leading by example, uh, or vocally, a combination of the two. I mean, there's no doubt that the guys are around Votto a lot when the team is home. He's not traveling with the team. India's the guy that's there. Uh, and clearly, people, you know, have bought, bought into um, India's being, right now, the leader of the franchise. But do you maximize your trading value right now of moving India? 
I would not. I would not trade him. Well, if you're going to, then you now's should. a great time, right? Now, now would be the time to do it, but I would not do it. I would keep him around. I would keep him on the team. I think he's valuable enough to this team. You finally have somebody good that you've developed here. I would not trade him. That's my opinion. I'll stick to that. Yeah. I mean, unless, I, it be, unless it becomes abundantly clear that he has no position and they want to entrust the team to all of these minor league guys. But I, I still think you need a little stability. I'm sticking with him. Yeah, I mean, I... You know, I foresee some sort of issue with India. Um, just the fact that, you know, it's one thing about the where does he fit at, you know. It's another thing that some of these guys in the chat are saying, like, why can't he just DH as his main role? Well, because I mean, like, the, the reason being is because they have a lot of other guys who – I mean, yeah, you know, look, I don't know what Encarnacion Strand is going to do up here at the big league level. I have no idea. Everybody can tell us how great this guy is. And, you know, I, I, I went into the rant last week about don't buy the hype. I don't buy the hype. That's why with India, okay, here you are, as we just said, in this kind of swing year for him. Who is he? What is he all about? Tell you, you watch a dude play over the weekend and, and 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 all this season for that matter. And you say to yourself, that's the kind of guy I want on my team when it's time to start winning games, right? Yeah. Yeah. He's that kind of guy. That's what he's all about. I mean, I, I totally see both sides on this thing. I mean, I I would keep him, but I'd have to have a long conversation with him. And I said this as well. I said it. A month and a half ago, I don't know if he did it. I don't know. I don't know if he was asked to do it. But knowing what you knew in February about your minor league prospects, knowing what you knew, if Jonathan India was not taking fly balls in left field during spring training, then somebody really dropped the ball. Somebody's really drop the ball because you knew when this season began you knew this had a chance to happen and you certainly were hoping it was going to happen and that was McLean and De La Cruz were coming to the big leagues and they got to play somewhere now could you make the same argument for De La Cruz taking balls in the outfield during spring training yes no doubt McLean has already shown you some versatility this guy's played a lot of different places. He never says, I just want to be a shortstop or want to be a third baseman or a second baseman or whatever. He just goes out and does his job, right? India has played one place. Why in the world has he not been used? Could he be Chris Bryant? Hmm. Now, Bryant was the most successful. Ben, ben Zobrist played more positions, but from, I mean, max out offensive talent, right? A guy who showed up every day, and if you told him he's playing left, you told him he's playing center, you told him he's playing short, you told him he's playing third, you told him he's playing right, you told him where he's playing first, he, Bryant did it and delivered the goods offensively, a league MVP, right? Is India... Could you pull off 
making him your Chris Bryant. Comes to work one day, he's a third. You want to give, let's say, steer a day off at first? Why not take some ground balls over at first? Why not? Indy can do it. We know he can play second. Could you play him at short a little bit? Could you play him in center? Could he be Chris Bryant? Does he have the makeup to be Chris Bryant? What about Senzel? Where is he in all this? Yeah, that's what I was just about to ask. Is there anyone else on this Reds squad that you look at the starting role and you're like, hmm, probably trade him, get some value there, and then you slide in India behind that? But again, you have to have guys that have proven themselves at the major league that's level. That's right. You can't just rely on all these rookies. It's not like the NFL. It's not like the NBA. It's like It is so much easier for these guys to fail when they make it to the major leagues that you got to have some dudes that have proven it at the major league level. Can I counterpoint that? And just by saying that the structure of the direction that the Reds want to go, yeah, they are putting all their chips in the center of the table going, our prospects are going to help us get to where we want to go. Yeah. So that's, that's the point that – that's my counterpoint to that is that's the move that they're going to make already. Like, they're, they've already decided, like, hey, the way that we're going to build our championship roster is through our prospects. Yeah. Ellie De La Cruz being the number one prospect in MLB, like, you're expecting him to go in there and be starting caliber. And I, I get where you're saying, like, that's not really smart, but it's the risk well, no, the no, 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 no. I'm not saying it's not smart. I'm not saying it's not smart. What I'm saying is you don't get rid of at least one or two of these guys that – because what's eventually going to happen is the, the Reds are going to bring these guys up. You're going you're to bring up Ellie. You're going to bring up uh, – well, Matt McClain's already up. You're going to bring up Encarnacion Strand. You're going to bring up Andrew Rabbit. You're going to bring up all these guys. That, and then that I, I forget Marte. Marte. He's Marte a double too. Everybody Marte. else has eventually, been a triple A. Eventually But he's Marte tearing will it up there. So he will be yeah. – when they make the move for De La Cruz to come to the big leagues, whenever that is, chances are Marte then gets bumped up to triple A. Yeah, but eventually, my point is, you bring these guys up. But eventually, Nick Crawl, hopefully, and this is not Crawl's fault if he doesn't, but hopefully Nick Crawl is empowered to get some major league guys. You go out and you sign one or two big free agents. You're going to have to. You're going to have to. I know. That's what I'm saying. And that's when you really make the push. That's when you say, all right, we're win- it's winning time. It's not cutting time that's right. now. That's, that's right. when you win. You bring up the guys, you get 60 or 70 games under their belt, which ideally is the rest of the season. And then in the off season or the early part of next season, whatever it might be, you either trade or you sign a big dude, two big guys, pitcher, whoever it is that they feel like they need. But to me, you don't get rid of India or Senzel, whoever, a couple of guys that you feel like you've built around, even though you are going to build this team around the prospects, that's fine. But you stick with somebody. You pick somebody and you stick with them. That's my thought. I don't know. To me, that would be India and Senzel. I would keep both of them, especially with the way that they're playing. There is no way you're keeping but, Senzel. There is just no way. Uh, yeah, he, you're, you got he feels like he's he the, just knocks the cover off the ball for the next month and a half. 
right? It feels like, and then somebody needs Senzel. I mean, now there is a guy who has a chance because of his service time to really start making a lot of money, and he's never been on the field for you. God bless him that he's back and doing well. But if that guy, now there's a guy you are really rooting for if you're Nick Crawl. Yeah. To play his ass off and play well for the next month and a half. And then it's adios. Well, which is the same role that we thought was going to happen with Will Myers. We thought well, there's we, no we were doubt hoping that, that Will Myers was going to do no that exact doubt. same thing and then ship him off at the trade deadline. No doubt. But no do, doubt. it does feel like Senzel's kind of the odd one out here, right? Yeah. Kind of feels like he's the odd one out. Well, maybe. for sure. Just because, I mean, of what he's done, sadly, his career has been marred by very serious stuff and some, you know, just nicks and bumps and bruises stuff. He's just missed too much time. You can't count on him. Especially if some have suggested, why not make him the Ben Zobris kind of a player? And, of course, Reed Mouse would just a terrible take in there when he says, are we comparing Jonathan India to Chris Bryant or Nick Senzel to Ben Zobris? We are not comparing them as players. We're comparing them as being guys you could play at different places on a team. India will never have Bryant numbers, and Senzel is never going to be Ben Zobrist. But, um, and that is not what I said, that they were going to be players like those guys. Not at all. Not what I said. Um, but, yeah, Senzel is without a doubt the odd man out. When all is said and done. And they need him to play well so they can move him. Well, let's get uh, our good friend Tracy Jones and his perspective on this. First of all, Tracer, uh, there you are again. Southern California cool. Obviously got out in the sun a little bit. Got the t-shirt going. Got the hat backwards. Living the life of Riley. I don't think it gets much better than this. I mean, when you look at my lifestyle compared to the Ham and Eggers, I mean, you guys could get out for a little sun. Don't you guys have, like, at your apartment a pool that you can sit out, get some sun? It's very healthy, good for vitamin D. Hey, great topic that you guys had about, you know, who's the odd man out? Tom, I disagree with you. I like Sinzel a little bit. I, I Not a little bit. Remember, he was the second player drafted in that draft. Been hurt all the time, I agree. But I like the way he plays third base. But the question is... With Dela Cruz hitting what he's doing, what he's doing down in AAA, he you got to bring him up, Tom. You got to bring him up. Okay, but Tracy, let, let me let me focus a minute on let's do one of those at a time. Okay, so Senzel, look, I, I'm not I'm not down <laughs> on Senzel. I mean, I just think yeah. the guys had a lot of bad luck um, with with injuries, and, and you know better than anybody because you were a, a guy that went through it. You know yeah. how the arbitration process works, okay? Senzel's already gone down that road two years. He'll go down that road another year. He would be a year away from free agency. You're not going to pay a guy who's never on the field until this year. You're not going to take a chance of keeping him. Uh, and if all of these other guys kind of pan out, and there's no guarantee yeah. they will, you know, Senzel becomes that guy that you can move around everywhere. But the Reds mm -hmm. in their fiscal situation, they're not going to pay a super utility guy 10 or 11 million bucks a year. That ain't happening. You, you know what? I take a step back. You make a really good point. I, I kind of root for Senzel because yeah. I think he's had a. I, that's what I, I'm rooting for someone. And sometimes I become more of a fan than what I should, you know, being a general manager or, or doing what's best for the team. I just think Senzel's a pretty good player, but you're right. You're not going to be able to keep him around at that 
pay, right? I mean, this isn't the Yankees or the Red Sox. So you make a good point. But the Dela Cruz thing is extremely interesting because Dela Cruz, what does he have to prove down in AAA? Is he got, does he have to hit 400 like I did in college? Or do you, does he have to hit 500 like I did in high school? I mean, how high can he go? I mean, he's only human. The guys put up numbers, the number one prospect in all of baseball. When was the last time Reds organization has had a chance to say that? I don't think ever, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm with you. I'm with you all the way. Uh, you know, they, they weren't doing this kind of stuff back when the Johnny Benches of the world were coming up. Uh, but, no. but, 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 but walk, walk me through then, Tracy. I don't know how much you heard or didn't hear about the whole Jonathan India conversation, okay? Yeah. In, 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 in the athletic, okay, um, C. Trent Rosecrans was the first guy that I really saw that, that, that got out and laid it on the line uh, about, you know, this guy's coming up, that guy's coming up, this guy's better at this position, that guy's better at that position, the DH situation, uh, on and on and on and on and on. But, but the article, even though it broadened in scope, it's centered on India, okay? Mm -hmm. He's not a good defensive second baseman. In fact, he's nope. been among, if not the very worst defensive second right. baseman. He's also, he, he's a gamer. He cares. He, he looks mm -hmm. to be a good leader. Um, yes. You're a stock guy, although you just said sometimes you get wrapped up in the emotion yeah. and the <clears throat> fandom of it all. But if you're Nick Crawl, do you even listen right now to offers for India? Yes, you do. I, I think if I'm a buyer or a seller of Jonathan India, I think I'm a seller. But here's what I want in return. I want your number one pitching prospect. Can I get that for Jonathan India? I mean, remember Jonathan India's rookie of the year. He's a very good hitter, but that's my trade. That, that's what I want to do. And I want to go back to something we had talked about going back last week. Would you be buyers or sellers with the Reds in third place? A chance to actually win the division. I would be a seller. And I think Jonathan India is a, a big chip that you could get something in return. But it would have to be, I don't care if Tom, if it's an A-ball pitcher, but he's got number one stuff. My job as a general manager would be to accumulate number ones. And if I could get someone for Jonathan India, I'm sure he's got a lot of the people respect him in the league. That's a trade I would make, just my okay, opinion. Okay, uh, let, me, let me ask you this. What, if you were in the clubhouse for the Reds, yeah. And apparently a lot of these guys really look to India. Not necessarily he's a big vocal leader, uh, but right. certainly an on-the-field leader, by example, as the old saying goes. What, what would be your reaction if all of a sudden uh, Jonathan India was here yesterday and he's not here today? You get over it real fast. I mean, at first it's kind of a sad, you give him a, you know, a handshake. And he's off, or unless it's like I was when I got traded and they said good riddance. It's because there's, I think there's two different guys, a guy like Jonathan India and a cancer like a Tracy Jones. So, so the club would actually miss Jonathan India. But if you can get a top-notch pitcher in return, this organization is setting up pretty well. And, and I like where it's going. I would just start accumulating number ones, number ones. In the draft that's coming up in July, Tom, I wouldn't worry about best available. I'd just go down the pitching staff. I would go down for college pitchers that are number one type guys that have that, 
you know, explosive stuff like a hunter green. All right, well, let me ask you this. If, um, and again, I'm going to get back again to the just India, because I think we all agree yeah. that from a sentimental standpoint, Vado is still the face of the franchise and the most popular player because of what he's done. He's had a Hall of Fame career, uh, mm -hmm. and he'll go down as, as, as one of the, the best players in the history of the oldest franchise in baseball. But day Absolutely. in and day out right now, uh, I made the comment that, believe me when I tell you, I've been around enough clubhouses to know. If somebody's not around when you go on the road, th the leader is the guy that's with the team every single day, if there is right. such a thing. Because he's in that. a lineup, he's out there playing. Okay. But from a fan base standpoint now, Tracy, <clears throat> put on your fan hat. Put on your fan hat. You just said that, you know, you wouldn't get wrapped up in this buying, buying, buying because you're a handful of games or less out of first place. It's a terrible division. Okay, um, but fans, you know, you backtrack the last couple of years where you're losing 90 plus games virtually every single year, losing over 100 last year. You've got a guy in India that is popular with a fan base. He's got the long hair. He's good looking. He's a gamer. He plays hard, all yep. that stuff. Right. If all of a sudden they ship him off, do you now, you know, sort of alienate your fan base again? So what do you go from 12,000 a game to 11,000? I mean, what's the, what's the downside with fans? That's not a great up? point. That is a great point. Right? I mean, of course you're upset, but you got to start looking big picture. You know, weren't fans upset when Castillo was traded? I mean, think yep. about how great that trade was, right? right. Or uh, Tyler Malley, right? Malley to the Twins. They got some good players in return. I, I just think you keep adding very good young pitchers, but pitchers that can make a difference. Do you know what I mean? It's almost yep. like the Reds have guys that can make a big difference. Not just fill-in guys, but guys that can be stars. I mean, I keep, I don't know why I'm obsessed with this Dela Cruz guy, but I watch him hit. He's really, really good, Tom. I mean, the ball jumps off his bat. He can run. They say he's too tall to play shortstop. I played against a guy by the name of Cal Ripken who was six foot five. So I just think, you know, maybe I'm being a homer here. I'm just extremely positive. Maybe not, not this year or not next year, but 2025, it's looking pretty strong. All right, let me ask you this. What, based on you doing it, and it's one of the reasons we have you on the show is because none of us did. You played the game. I don't know if you ever heard that right. before. But yes. um, what is a fair – I don't know if you're going to be able to, 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 to give a number on this as far as it bats or whatever. But, but I'm going to ask you to try. What's a fair number of at-bats and or games and or experience at the big league level for a player for you to be able to decide, we think this guy is going to be a good player, everyday player, successful, productive, everyday player, or this guy just doesn't have it? They used to say, if you could hit in double A, you can play in the big leagues, right? I mean, that that's where a player kind of takes – the next step but i think you get you, you check and you look at a player is he a difference maker is he a guy that could be a star i mean i think that's what organizations are looking for tom they're not looking like for mediocre ball players they're looking for guys that can really make an impact I'll give you another example i mean how do you think mclean's looking 
He's a pretty good player, right? Got a quick bat. He hammers that high fastball. Uh, you know, is that guy an impact player? Yeah, I think he is. Now, does he move over to, and play second base? There's a possibility. Why is Barrero still well, in the Well, see, that's where I was going with this, though, Tracy. I mean, look, based on what you just said, okay, that if you can hit at double A, all right, you got a chance to be a good hitter in the big leagues. It was two years ago, 2009, uh, 2020, 21, forgive me, 2021, where this guy had an unbelievable offensive season in the red system. He was the number one prospect in the organization. Uh, and, you know, like, like De La Cruz is the number one prospect in the Reds organization now. And I know De La Cruz is overall. But, yeah. but, but, but this is what I was ultimately getting at, is that, you know, Barrero is still really young. The fan base seemingly has thrown the towel in on this guy. Um, what do you say about that? Apparently, you're down on the think, guy, too. Yeah, I don't think he's going to hit. He's 25 years old. I mean, compared to Dela Cruz, it's 21. I'll tell you why he's playing. What did he get, $4 million, $5 million when he out of Cuba? That's why he's playing, Tom. You know that as well as I do. You talk about money. When you fork out that kind of money... $4 million for a guy to play shortstop. He's 25 years old. He's not doing it. Or do you go with a guy like Dela Cruz who spent $65,000 and he's the number one prospect in all of baseball? I mean, you're trying to prove someone right. There's someone that's pushing that guy because he got a lot of money to sign. But I, I don't think, I think he filled. But now you move him out to center field. What's that all about, right? Didn't he play center field the other day? Yeah. What, what is that about? I mean, that doesn't make much sense to me. They've got the shortstop. They've got the guy, Arroyo, who they say is the best fielding shortstop out of all of them, right? He's like 21 years old or 20 right. years old. Right. I mean, there's just so many good shortstops. And remember, when you're a shortstop, you can play all the different positions. It doesn't matter. You can move them to right field. Dela Cruz can play right field, center field, third base. He's too tall to play second base. Uh, McLean can play different positions, and Carnacion can play different positions. So it's it just, I'm very positive, very positive. But I would not be buyers into this. I wouldn't get in, oh, we need to add a bat or a pitcher and get rid of, you know, someone. I'm looking long-term, not just this year. Okay. Um, I, I, I want to ask you this, and if it doesn't mean anything, okay? Um and look, everybody gets to make their major league debut, right? When, when, when they call you up to the big leagues, you make your debut. And yep. uh, half the time it's at home, the other time it's on the road. Okay, fine. If you were going to bring De La Cruz to the big leagues, and, and, and you know as well as I do, general managers and baseball operations people, they talk about this stuff all the time. If you're going to bring time. him up, when are you going to bring him up? You're going to think about, okay, what team are we facing? Uh, trying to, to look out if it's, if it's coming in the next five to eight to ten days. You're going to look at the pitchers that they possibly could be facing, right? If you want to bring them up against the Red Sox, for example, you would have known, uh, you know, seven, eight days ago, okay, this pitcher, this pitcher, this pitcher, three-game series. Same thing coming up with Milwaukee this weekend. Would you rather see a guy um, – do, do you think it's better for a guy like him with all the hype, right – and he's lived up to the hype. But with all yeah. the hype, would, um, would, would, um, would you rather see him brought up at home so he might sell a few extra tickets? Does that play into it? 
Or would you rather just kind of start on the road in St. Louis or in wherever, right? Who cares? What do you think? Here's the thing, and you know I'm all about the money. I'm all about the money. And if I cast a lady, I'll be man on a homestand of like, you know, nine games and have Dela Cruz play. I think it's a big to-do and advertise the hell out of it. Number one prospect in all of baseball. This guy is going to be a superstar. You know, this will be bigger than, I don't know, go back to Homer Bailey or Adam That was Dunn. a big deal that night when Homer Bailey came up. Man. It was that a was big a deal, big right? Deal. Yeah. But the Dela Cruz is bigger. I, I think he's that good. I think he is. So that's a great question. I'd wait and bring him home. Because being on the road can be a little different. But tough for a rookie. Okay. Make it easy. All right. Um, before we let you get out of here, and we're in the final minutes, um, look, uh, you know, we're, we're talking about banging the drum slowly here for De La Cruz coming up to the big leagues. Uh, the drum uh, right now is, I mean, it's Charlie Watts-esque here at this point. For those of you old enough to know who Charlie Watts, you know Charlie Watts is? You, you know, I don't. I don't. He's the drummer for the Rolling Stones. Oh, jeez. I'm sorry. I should know Greatest that. Greatest rock and roll band of all time. Come on. Very can overrated. You, uh, real quick, by the way. Can you name, Casey, uh, two members no. of the Rolling Stones? No. Cannot. Paul, no. can you? No, I'm not. I, I would never pretend to be a music guy. Could never. Tracy, no. do you know two members of the Rolling Stones? Well, you have Mick Jagger. Yeah. And then you have that late lead guitarist. What's his name? Angus Young. No, Keith well, Richards. That's okay. Keith. We move on. Keith Richards. Keith Richards. Move on. All right. But the point is, is this is a drummer. Pick one in more modern days, okay? Yeah. Uh, this is a drummer who, I mean, it, it, drumming and drumming really moving here and now the pace, right? Yep. And that is, Tracy, for the wedding bells. Officially beginning to ring Saturday. Tom, this is... It's Tracy, this is Casey's last show. Casey will not be in on Thursday. So this is your last oh. opportunity to talk to him. Well, I'm glad we can talk about the wedding and everything. I've got some ideas. Um, I ran it back. Remember, I was going to write you a check, Casey. My wife completely shot that down. So I have to get you a gift. And I forget, what flea market are you guys registered at? Is it the one up 75 toward Dayton? I mean, I got to get you a gift. Are they open on Friday, that flea market? I have no idea, to be honest. Saturday mornings, 10 a.m. Okay, and I just want to ask you this, too. Um, and you're all right with it, because I want to make sure I'm not doing anything too shaky. But I've already put my table and my chair in my Range Rover, and it's ready to go Saturday night. I'm going to sign autographs. I'm only yeah. charging $5. Should I start that, you know, sit that table and, and chair at the beginning of the potluck table of the, you know, how people are going to make their way through the through and pick out the potluck or at the end where all the kegs are? Where would you put my table and chair to sign autographs? Hmm. Probably at the end of the cake table. Probably at the end of the cake table. We have little buntinis. They're not, they're like, Tiny cupcakes. We're not doing a traditional cake cake. Oh, really? So there's not going to be that ceremonial part of where you two, well, there, you there know, put be. the cake the, in each we... other's mouth all over your face, whatever. <laughs> That's just a two-layered cake. 
And we're not we're not cutting that up and serving it to people until all the buntinis are gone, and then we'll start serving that out. But yeah, so I mean, I would put you right by by that. And by the way, um, I let my family finally know that you were planning on attending, uh-huh. and possibly you and, and Marty, all the fans, and, right, right. And so I found out the other day that my my aunt, she actually has a huge poster of of you and Marty and of 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 you, Tracy, all together uh, of, of something. I don't know how, but she's got a poster of all of you hanging above her bed. Wow! Just of you Oof. guys. She's gonna bring it in for you to sign. <laughs> no. Now, what does she look like? Is she in her dirty 30s? Because that's the, the type that I prefer. She is so, in her 30s. What does she yes. look like? She's in her 30s, and she's okay. a very beautiful woman. Yeah, but she's from Blanchester. You know, those women are big. There's, they're just that. They got those farm girls, and they're uh, they're a little big. Hey, are we still charging for parking? Are we doing that? And how about a cover charge? Did we discuss that to make some? What about a 50-50 raffle? I'm still bringing, um, what am I, onion dip. Marty told me he's bringing a jello mold. He always thinks that's a big hit, at, you know, things like that. And Marty used to stay at my parents' house when the Dodgers played. He'd stay with my mom and dad. He always brought a, a, a jello mold. Are those things, how are we doing with everything? I think all those things are, are happening except for the charging for parking. Um, couldn't get that one through. Uh, the, the, the host hostess, um, they, they wanted to charge. If we were going to do that, they were going to take the profit. I wasn't able to, to keep it cause it's on their property. So right. makes that idea. Right. Um, but the shoe shining that's, that's happening. That's that's gonna that's gonna happen. Yeah, not the not the coat closet because it's gonna be ninety two. So let's. What about just charging for like bottled water as they come in, something like that. Hey, the number one thing that's that's the most important is to make sure you don't run out of alcohol. Casey, how many kegs do you guys have? Kegs? Do you guys have like ten kegs? Yes. Or is it just beer by the can? I don't. That's a good question. I don't know if it's kegged or canned. They're the ones taking care of it, though. Yeah, it's out so of your. I, that's out of your kind of. You, 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 however I they do, do it, you're okay with it. I do know that they are. It's like, it's Miller Light. I think there might be Bud Light, and <laughs> some some. Uh, Not some, a lot of beer <laughs> drinking going on at the wedding. Clearly, go ahead. Oh, and, and some wine and some other stuff. But I I do think that. The beer, everything is probably going to be canned. Okay. I, I bet. All right. Well, that's good. That's good. That's a good thing. Uh, Jolly Jolly, our good friend from out in Los Angeles who hails from right here uh, in Hamilton, Ohio, asks a great question. What is the first dance song? Oh, great question. Great. Jolly great. Jolly's on it now. I mean, he's always yes. on it. So the first, the first dance Alex and I are um, dancing to is actually a Disney um animated song um from rapunzel at last i see the light i don't know if anyone's that's a horrible song that's a horrible choice (laughs) not a fan of that one not a fan of that movie do you remember yours tom uh yeah it uh it was uh, a song called you are the love of my life and uh yeah it's a great uh sammy kershaw i believe is the artist on that yeah 
Yeah, what was yours? Well, what were both of them? Me and Mrs. Jones. Oh, Mrs. man. Mrs. Jones, Mrs. Jones. Did you like yeah, that? Was it really? <laughs> I think that was seventh grade when I was dancing with Sue Camus. <laughs> no. I don't even remember the first one. I think I think the name. I tell you what, if you want to hear a version of that, I stumbled on this the other day. If you want to hear a version of that song, "Me and Mrs. Jones," which is one of the greatest songs ever made, right? Isn't it? It is a phenomenal, phenomenal song. But there is a thing I I stumbled across on YouTube. Uh, I was up really late one night, and somehow was checking out a couple things, and stumbled on. Um, Daryl Hall of Hall and Oates doing yep. that song live. And if anybody's ever watched any of these episodes of Daryl's house, he's got a barn in his backyard uh, outside of Philadelphia where all these artists come in, big time musical artists over the last 40, 50 years. Mm-hmm. And they do a whole show. The show's been running for 14 years now. If you love live music, and I don't care if you like Hall and Oates, but if you like music, what they do is, is whoever the guy is from Smokey Robinson to Todd Rundgren to any of the big name people that are around today, they'll come in and they'll play, they'll do half the songs of that guy, Joe Walsh, whoever, right? And then they'll do half the songs of Daryl Hall's, you know, hits through the years. But everybody's yeah. got a different voice. They bring in the different bands. But, but that song, Me and Mrs. Jones, I stumbled on that. It's not on Daryl's house. It was at some other thing. And man, it is unbelievable. Maybe you and Danae could uh, well, let me you just know, tell dial you. that one up. Let me tell you something. If you're lonely and you're with, you go out on a date, you bring your girl back to your mansion or what I have, a penthouse, you could bring it back to your apartment, you guys, the Ham and Eggers, and you play me and Mrs. Jones, let me tell you something. You'll be pulling some wool, no doubt about it. Tom loves that, don't you, Tommy? <laughs> well, I, you know, it's like I put the ball on the tee. I yeah, put you the do. ball on the tee. I just put it there. Uh, and you That's know, what makes you so good. That's what makes there, you so there's good. There's no question. Billy Paul did the original of that song, for those of you that don't know. <laughs> uh, all right, Mr. Jones, uh, any final words? Because this is Paul mentioned. This is your last time to really have any kind of on-air conversation. Uh, before Casey, uh, you know, uh, here's those wedding bells. Casey, remember, it's not too late. If you want to just kind of duck out, I'll understand. Just let me know so I don't have to go to that flea market and get you a gift. Because I'm not going to get you a gift if you pull. Remember, when you get married, it's 50-50. You got to flip a coin, right, Casey? You'll flip that quarter you got in your pocket, 50, in your case, a penny, flip it, 50-50. 50-50. Well, I was already told by the, uh, the bride's parents that if I were to just all of a sudden back out, that I would be uh, sued very quickly for that, you know, large amount of Casey, money that we poured hold on. this wedding. So, you know what? It's all right. You know what? You don't, they don't understand. You're from Blanchester. You know how many people you know that are shaky in Blanchester? I'm sure you could get some muscle behind you, okay? You're not going to be intimidated. You're from Blanchester. Remember that. 
I forgot all about that. I forgot all about that. I've got some muscle. And Casey, right. and just on a piece of advice, don't go to bed mad and, and always laugh. I was with, you know, Danae and I spent a lot of time this weekend. I laugh the whole time. All we do is just joke around and it really makes for a really good relationship. She's very happy. She's really happy that she married a major league baseball player. She's very proud that she really accomplished that. <laughs> That's good advice, Tracy. Never go to bad angry. That's a good one. Yep. All right. Well, there you have it. Our parting words of wisdom from the tracer for, um, for our man, Casey. Yeah, man. Big weekend. All right, Tracer. We'll talk to you on Thursday, right, my boys. man. All right. Great talk to you on today. Thursday. Great stuff today from See Tracy Jones on all walks of life. Fellas, you want to say goodbye to Trace? See you, Tracy. See you, Tracy. All right. Man. I, I mean, I, I, we're not allowed to play some music because of the whole uh, you got to pay a music, right? Boy, I wish we could just you know leave today with that song. That was still, uh, it's still popular at a lot of weddings. Uh, the, the old band Fifth Dimension. I'm showing my age here, I know. But that was a great song. Except we wouldn't play it for you because it was the Wedding Bell Blues. Hmm. Blues, huh? Please marry me, Bill. In this case, please marry me, Case. Yeah, because this person was not being asked to be married. Hmm. Right? All right. Uh, AJ says, best 30 minutes in television. PB's Ghost is a great line. Says, Casey will be playing the Gap Band early in the morning at the wedding. Now, that is a big-time take. PB's Ghost goes straight to the top <laughs> of the chat. Because anybody who pulls out the Gap Band early in the morning, find me another lover, that is a big-time take. So I know I'm not the judge this week, but if I was, PB's ghost would go right to the top. Okay. Praise. It's good stuff. All right. Tomorrow, we're waiting on final confirmation, but it looks pretty good. Uh, tomorrow, uh, Scott Boris is going to join the program. He's considered to be the most powerful man in baseball, even ahead of the commissioner. He's been the agent through tens of billions of dollars through the years. I mean, basically, you name a big name, he's their guy. He also has a lot of detractors. Uh, a lot of people feel like he's bad for the game. But uh, I have always said, and my, my dad is always on it. And I got into it with my dad last week. I said, look, you say whatever you want about Scott Morris, wh whatever you want. And my dad's going to be on tomorrow, too, to talk about the Reds. I said, but. All I can do is go by how Scott Boris treats me. And I've told the story before about when he was representing Greg Maddox. I was announcing the Cubs games. He uh, and I, on a telecast, got all over Maddox uh, about saying he wasn't going to negotiate. He was going to leave and be a free agent. We were in Pittsburgh. I'll never forget it as long as I live. I get back to my hotel room that night in Pittsburgh. Phone rings in the room. It's Scott Boris. He says, hey, let's talk about this a little bit. I, I watched you tonight. I heard what you had to say. He said, now, now I'm going to just counter some of the things you said with this, 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 and this. And ever since that day, every time I've been around the guy, he has been phenomenal. He's smart. 
He was a former player. A lot of people say he was going to be a great major league player had he not gotten hurt, shredded his knee a couple of times. He's an attorney. He's now the most powerful agent in baseball. Every time I've ever asked him, uh, and, and not just when Tom Brenneman was going good, all right, you know, to be on a Fox Saturday or come on the booth during a Reds game or a Diamondbacks game or whatever. But when the wheels fell off in August of 2020 and I'm doing a podcast, Every time I've ever asked Scott Boris to come on, the guy's done it. And he doesn't need to come on off the bench. But he does it, and I appreciate it. And so, I don't badmouth the guy. I think everybody agrees universally, even if you don't like him, if you had to pick one agent in baseball to represent you, he would be your guy. All right, Case? We do have a cherry on top. All right, let's have it. Cherry on top, presented by United Dairy Farmers. It's kind of of a funny one. I did a little digging to make sure this was true. I think it's true. And even if it's not, we're going to take it at face value that it's true. So this comes to us via Twitter. And this is a tweet from... uh, Who is that? I'm trying to read the name. Kielman. Okay. That Bo Jackson has had the hiccups for a year. A year. You're kidding. How do you have the hiccups for a year? Honest to God, how do you... Wait a minute, who is saying this? This was a big story. Oh, so it's a legitimate story. Yeah. Okay. Holy Moses. Really? A year. Well, I mean... Could you imagine having the hiccups? No, for like I a mean, day? I just can't imagine that there's not somebody out there, a doctor, because you know he's gone everywhere to try to get this fixed, right? Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, I, and look, I know doctors on gods. I think, like, I'm pretty sure that's a that could be a fake story. I, I don't know 100. percent I'm pretty good at sniffing out fake stories, but I sent that to Casey, and I was like, Could you ever imagine real having... or fake? We're we're putting this in there. Okay. I don't believe that's a real story. No, but that has there's no way. whether it is a real story or not. That ha- I have heard of that being a thing. Okay, like an actual thing. Could I don't you, know if that's real though. Could you imagine having a year of hiccups? No, I couldn't. No, chew you up mentally. Just never stop. How you sleep? How you do anything? You don't. No, I mean, no. Well, Casey, I guess this is, uh, are you here tomorrow? I'm here tomorrow, and then uh, Thursday I will not be here. Okay. Friday I will not be okay. here. All right. Well, then we will have a chance to have a, um, a, an official Bon Voyage tomorrow. Of course. Okay. Thank you, Paul. Thank you. Thank you. Jacob, thank you. Thank you, Tom. Thank all of you for being with us. We're back here, good Lord willing, tomorrow at 10 a.m. Tomorrow, big day. Big day. Big day. Big day. Bigger night. Bigger night. All right, we'll see you tomorrow. Like the stream before you leave.